film fans. This is the perfect time of the year for you to be cool inside a movie theater. And we have a huge lineup of movies for you to watch and enjoy today. We'll talk to our guest, Ron Stevens, in just a moment about the passing of Frank Bonner and what's going on with Keep Live Alive. Around minute 21, we'll talk about Sparks Brothers' new documentary. Around minute 47, Rena Moreno's new documentary. Around minute 53, Disney Pixar's Luca. Around one hour and five minutes, The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Spoiler, don't see it. Around one hour and 11 minutes, 12 Mighty Orphans. Around one hour and 18 minutes, Gaia, around one hour and 23 minutes, Ferguson Rising and Wish Dragon. Lots to see this week. But we also have a very special guest. Ron Stevens is here to talk about a couple things. So we just found out that he knew Frank Bonner personally, who played the legendary Herb Tarluck on WKRP in Cincinnati. I forgot that Ron and Joy wrote for the show. Yes, correct. But first, let's correct one thing. I'm not a special guest. After five visits, you can't be special anymore. But <laughs> okay, thanks. well, how about us? Uh, how about a, a super duper contributor? Ah, there you go. Contributor. I love that. I've always yeah, wanted to contributor. And, and we better. always have you on when somebody dies famous and you know them. I, not I show up. coincidentally. And yeah, yeah this happened. It is. So far, it's been a. He just died yesterday. And not only was he uh, on the the late great WKRP in Cincinnati, but he was also on Saved by the Bell for another generation of people. Uh, yeah, Frank was, uh, when he was on KRP in Cincinnati, as you know, that lineup was uh, uh, re- really a great lineup of writers and, and uh, directors and actors that uh, made it a special show, like Barney Miller was a special show. There were just certain shows back then that had a tone to them and a style of writing that were uh, really good. But uh, unlike some of the others on that show, uh, they all came from different backgrounds. I mean, Lonnie Anderson, glamour queen. I mean, she, she was just gorgeous uh, um, and, uh, and also very funny and a good a- actress, but uh, I don't think anyone doubts for a second that her beauty had a lot to do with her getting that job and her sense of humor, of course. Yeah. Howard Hessman, was uh, from the committee and a great improv actor. Uh, Gordon Jump was a veteran actor. Uh, Tim Reed was a stand-up comedian. Gary Sandy had done uh, uh, soap uh, operas more than anything in bit parts. So he really, he was a, a surprise thing in there. But Frank Bonner, if you met him on the street, you would never guess in a million years that he was an actor. He had no pretensions about him. He never talked about his acting. It was like a job. He came in, he smiled, he shook hands, he hugged. Uh, he said, hi. He said, bye. I got to get home. I got a family at home. And really, it, it, it was a very different kind of person. Uh, one of my memories of Frank came on a day where uh, we, were, we were all breaking for rehearsals. And um, we were at KTLA Studios, which was on Sunset. And it was KTLA was the studios for Channel 5, KTLA, Channel 5 in Los Angeles. But it was also a huge lot with a lot of studios on it. Game shows were taped there and some sitcoms. And across the street was a Denny's. So a few of us decided to go over to Denny's. It was me, Joy, Lonnie Anderson, Frank and, and Bonner and Richard Sanders. So we went over there and got a booth. And Les uh, Nessman. What's that? Les Nessman, Richard Sanders. Yeah, yes. More rock, Les Nessman. Yeah. 
And I think Gary might've come along. Gary Sandy, uh, it seems like he was always just tagging along. <laughs> and there's a reason, there's a story behind that. And there's a reason for it, but uh, he was a good guy. Not that nobody liked him. Uh, but Frank Bonner, you know, probably talked more than anyone else there. He, he, he's a very talkable person and, you know, like to joke around and just, uh, but not not joke around and 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 draw attention to himself, you know. Just a good be part of the be part of the collaboration. Uh, so he was like a work a working man actor. Yeah, I, 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 that would be a good way to describe him. And he, he had a, he had the catchphrase on the show. It was okay, fine, okay, fine, okay, fine. Yeah, or something. Okay, like fine. That. And that was that was it. Yeah, right. Uh, and and as. Uh, you probably heard a thousand times, Carl, and, and Lynn pointed out before uh, you showed up this morning uh, or this afternoon. Or, or this Depends evening. on when you're listening to this. Uh, uh, every radio station and TV station and newspaper in the country had one uh, Herb Tarlick. Yes. Herb Tarlick, suit and all. And you know what? That, I mean, that's, that's the same today. I, you could say that today. There's still that. There's somebody working on a sales staff in media who maybe a month ago was selling cars somewhere and <laughs> got it. Yeah, and and it's, it's the, I can sell anything, people. It doesn't matter. I can sell it. Give me the product and I can sell it. We don't and need I, to sell dogs. We need to sell snakes. Well, I will tell you from, uh, I had been in late market, in small market radio in late seventies and that, that plaid jacket wasn't too far off. White shoes, white belt. Yeah. in the plaid. No. And even in, uh, in, uh, radio, I'm uh, not radio. And even in newspapers, we had to add people like Herb. Yeah. It's just, you still lovable, talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And he had a thing for Jennifer until Jennifer called him out on it. And he knew yep. that he would not. His wife was played by Edie McClurg. Oh, Edie McClurg, another great improv uh, actress. Oh, she was fantastic. She so probably held the record for the number of sitcoms she appeared in. And famously in St. Louis, she was the flight, or flight uh, airline worker at uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. John Hughes, and she's arguing oh, with... Yeah. Uh, Steve yeah. Martin. She was Which is a classic scene. Yeah, she was a go-to actress. Uh, for yeah, the she was in a lot of those John Hughes movies back in the day. Yeah. She, was, she, was, well, she was in The Groundlings, wasn't she? I think so. I think I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we had worked with her before. Joy and I were on a show with her. We did a... The Groundlings was very much like the Compass Players, which became... Um, the, the, the one up in Chicago that all SNL came so, from. Uh, Second City. Second City, yeah. Or Upright Citizens Brigade. Yeah, the Groundlings was the uh, West Coast version of Second City. Kristen Wiig was a Groundling. So was uh, uh, Will Ferrell. That's correct. And um, um, Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. Paul Rubens. Paul Rubens. Well, Ron has an amazing story, Carl, about how he and Joy became writers on WKRP in Cincinnati. So do you want to share that, Ron? Uh, yeah, I didn't know we'd get into that, but I'd be happy to. Uh, Joy and I had just moved to Los Angeles uh, because we were forced to by the record industry because we had a comedy album that we wanted to sell to a record, a record label and release our first album somewhere over the radio. And most of the executives on the West Coast said, if you're serious about this, you have to move out here and suffer with the rest of us. You can't stay in St. Louis and expect to put out an album and do anything with it. So we did, we moved to LA and we, we were told of this law firm there that was like the top law firm for 
brokering album deals. So we sought out an attorney then and took it to him. He listened to it and he immediately sent it over to Bernie Brillstein. Now, yeah. Bernie Brillstein managed just about everybody on the original Saturday Night Live. And he was, you know, part Lucy. of Saturday Night Live as an executive producer. Gary Shandling, too. Yeah, amongst others. We didn't know who he was. So we got a phone call from Bernie Brillstein. He introduces himself. Hi, my name is Bernie Brillstein, and I just heard your album, and I'd like to meet you guys. Can you come to my office? Uh, which was in Beverly Hills or one of the, maybe Universal Studios, I don't remember, but it was a you know, nice office. We show up there. And on his walls are huge photos of Chevy Chase, Phil Durant, or Don, Dan Aykroyd, the whole team are up there. And we go, oh, do you know these guys? What, what a question, huh? You know these guys, the photos all over. He goes, yes, I manage every one of them. And uh, he said, you know, talked about our album, and said, what do you guys want to do? And I said, well, I want to work with these guys, people on your wall on Saturday Night Live. So he said, well, there, are, there, there aren't any openings on Saturday Night Live right now, but have you heard of a show called WKRP in Cincinnati, which was in its first season? And we said, yes, we've seen every episode. And uh, he picked up the phone and said, get Hugh on the phone for me and hung it up. Just like that. Like there's somebody on that phone waiting for his back and call. Yeah, right there. Boom. Yeah, get Hugh for me. Within a minute, Hugh calls. Hugh Wilson, who was the producer of WKRP in Cincinnati. Says, Hugh, I've got these, this husband and wife here in my office, and I want you to meet them. They're, they're good writers, and I think uh, you'll benefit from meeting these two. And that was on a Friday. You set up a meeting for Monday morning, which... I don't know if you guys know in LA how rare that is, but Bernie had that kind of pull, obviously. No, so no we, nobody meets on, it's, it's kind of like a congressional or political thing. It's Monday through Thursday, or Tuesday through Thursday. Well, uh, let's look at it this way. It was Los Angeles. Morning is not a word there. So meetings don't happen in the morning, unless you're, you know, you're a couple producers and you're meeting for coffee somewhere. Well, but it takes so long to drive anywhere. If you're going to an audition or you're a writer trying to get a meeting with a producer, that's not going to happen in the morning. So we met with him Monday morning and uh, sitting in his office, he showed us on, on his floor the, next to his desk, there was a stack of scripts from Florida halfway up to the ceiling. He said, see those scripts? These scripts have all been submitted to me to read. I will never read any of them. I don't have time to read them. I won't meet with these people. If you look down the hallway, See that sign there on that door it says story editor. That's who they meet with. If an agent calls and they want to get a meeting, they meet with the guy down there. He's our gopher. That's who they meet with, which is very revealing. Uh, but he was meeting with us and he did not see anything we wrote. He went on Bernie's recommendations and he said, you need to sell two scripts to television, network television to get in the Writers Guild Union. I'm going to buy two scripts from you. So you're here until we buy two scripts, which was the first season, the end of the first season. And um, he did, but it gave us that experience of, of meeting the staff and seeing everybody and uh, seeing how it all works. It was quite an experience for us. Thanks to Bernie Brillstein. That is, that is great. I so love what, that story. What did you write? Or were you just, did you come up with stories and let the writers do the writing? The first, the first story was assigned to us and it was a script that did get finished and it was, um, the, what's the, what are the first lyrics in, in, the, in the jingle? Uh, Baby, if you ever wondered. Baby, if you ever wondered. That was the name of the script. Okay. 
and it did get produced, but our names are not on it. We got we got paid for it, but <laughs> it, it was assigned. Very to, Hollywood. Yeah, right. It was assigned to us, and it was rewritten enough times. I mean, it was. We didn't do a great job on it, but it, it got us our first. The second one we did better on, but by the time we wrote that, there's more politics there. Uh, it was the end of the season. All the all the scripts were taken for the season. They were going into season two. Hugh Wilson moved up to executive producer, and Bill Dial became producer. And Bill, Bill Dial, who played Bucky, that's correct. And you know what? He dressed like that in real life. <laughs> he showed up at the office dressed like that, with his shirt tail out. But he he did not. He fired all the females on on the staff. Uh, on the writing staff what? the day he became, he didn't like women. And Joy is a female. I don't know if you've noticed that, but uh, yeah. and I was her partner. So I went with her, uh, which was fine. We, we got what we asked for there. And we went on to write for other shows after that. Didn't you write for Facts of Life? We wrote for Facts of Life. And you know, that's a, another story in that uh, at the time, the producer of Facts of Life was from St. Louis. He was from Ladue. Can't remember his name offhand. And there was a there was a St. Louis girl, Julie, who still lives in town, and she was on the first season of Facts of Life before they streamlined it. Interesting. So so he met with us because we were from St. Louis, and you know he he knew Casey, he knew us from Casey, and thought I, I want to meet these guys. So we go to lunch with him, and he says, "What are you guys doing right now?" And we said nothing, and he slammed his fork down and said, "Never in L.A." give that answer again. When you're asked what you're doing, never say nothing. Make it up if you have to. So he became an instant friend. And uh, <laughs> he, he, had a, he had a script at the time that needed a rewrite. He said, I, this script was, uh, the two writers did an okay job on it, but I did a rewrite on it, meaning him, the producer. And he says, and it still needs something. Uh, and the executive producer, uh, 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 gosh, what was his name, A Alan? Alan Burns. It was it? forty years ago, Ron. No one's for no. Right. I'll, I'll forgive he, you if he you was can't a remember. Big name. He, he was producing. Uh, this executive producer was executive producing, like uh, uh, Mark and Mindy, and uh, you know some decent shows. So he was somebody worth meeting. You know, well, he wanted to rewrite it with us, so he took mm. us to each house. So here's the executive producer who really has more experience in sitcoms than anybody I, I ever met in my life rewriting with us a script that had been rewritten by the producer and in my estimation the original script was the best script we we, we totally butchered this script so they call us up uh, one week and say, hey we're, we're, we're producing the script you did rewrite on uh, you got to come down and see it come on down so we do that friday we come to the to the uh screening or the uh taping of the show with a live audience and what happens with, with a live audience you know from scene to scene between the scenes you stop and the producer or someone usually a stand-up comedian or the producer, will talk to the audience and entertain the audience while they're setting the next scene, moving over to the next set. And uh, in this case, it was the producer. And he said, uh, by the way, the original producers of the script are here. I'd like to introduce them. And Joy and I were about that point ready to sneak out because it, it was so pitifully bad, that particular <laughs> script. Uh, but we thought, well, let's stay and see who the, producer, who the original writers of the script were. It was two 15-year-old girls wrote the original scripts. They were friends of one of the girls on the show. And they wrote a great script. And we got paid $5,000 each to butcher it. To ruin it. To ruin it. Along with the producer of the show and the executive producer of the show, they, we all got paid to do rewrites on something that really didn't need the rewrites. That's Hollywood. Yep. 
So was it Dick Clare, Howard Leeds, or Jerry Mayer? Jerry Mayer. And was the girl Julie Pekarski? Yeah, um, she's still in St. Louis. I saw, actually, the last time I saw her was at the Muni. I wonder if her dad is Rich Pekarski, because he's been in the Muni for 40 years, I bet. I, 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 I had an embarrassing moment when I told, I, she and I had a long conversation, and and I said, you know, I used to be in love with you. And she's like, well, I'm single again. And I said, well, I'm not. <laughs> sorry. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, uh, uh, she played Sue, Sue Ann Warren. Yep. I loved Julie. I, I still love Julie as a friend. <laughs> well, but Ron, how, okay. Speaking, speaking of you and your journey, how is Keep Live Alive going? I saw you last week. We were at an event together. Yeah, and it was appreciation night at Drive-In uh, STL, uh, which Dan Buck owns and runs. And Dan Buck was kind enough to throw together an appreciation night for us, which was nice, which means uh, the people who were there, a good portion of them uh, got in free because he gave us an unlimited number of tickets to give away to um, people like Carl Middleman, anybody on the show. Um, on the staff, uh, on the team, uh, even applicants, grant applicants, and uh, and then people who were just fans or, or uh, um, donors, owners showed up, you know, and paid to be there and stuff, which was nice. So it was a, uh, a good evening with um, Jeremiah Johnson, and then the Blues. Who are very show. good. Yeah, yeah. Jeremiah. That was a that was a good show. Oh, it was a great show. That what the, and I, the reason they gave us this is interesting. Uh, the reason they gave us that night is they said, look, we love Jeremiah Johnson, but they are king of blues in clubs in Soulard and in clubs, you know, around town. You pack a place and there'll be a line out the door to see him, but put him in a concert setting like this. Not so much that the people who are into the blues want to be in the, the, you know, inside and, you know, intimate setting. Yeah. Intimate. Uh, so they didn't expect a lot of people to show up. So they were they were very pleased with the turnout, even though it was like ninety degrees. It's still at you know eight o'clock. It was still ninety degrees, but it. And uh, then he went and played after after his set was over. When they started the movie, they had he continued to play. It was it was interesting. It was there was a dichotomy of people that wanted to watch the movie and wanted to hear more live music in an intimate setting. So they had more people doing staying and doing both things. Wow. I was gone by then, so I missed that. Yes. I'm glad to know that. Thank you. Uh, but but Keep Live Alive is in the Keep Live Alive Alive stage now, in that uh, we, we, as you know, we raised over $100,000 and we raised enough that every single, um, um, I, I don't want to use the word legitimate, uh, every single <laughs> valid, valid application, um, which was 99% of them, um, received. Or, or will receive uh, a check probably by this Monday. The checks are actually going out today. Uh, so by Monday, they should all have their checks and uh, hopefully many of them are pleasantly surprised. However, now to answer your question, Keep Alive Alive does live on in that several uh, promoters, concert promoters and event promoters have stepped forward and said, we're giving you a percent of the gross of this show or that show, for example, Robert Cray, we're getting a percent of the gross of the Robert Cray show from Steve Litton Presents. We're getting a percent of the gross of uh, Beyond Van Gogh, which is in Ooh. September, October. I think it shows in October. Mm -hmm. That 
will be a fat check. It's gonna, I mean, we have projected and knowing what we know of what's on the way that, uh, uh, that we will be able to set up a fund and, and it will probably be a scholarship fund. One idea we're looking at is the R Rusty Young Scholarship Fund. We'll be Ooh. talking to Mary about that soon. Um, for musicians and young musicians in high school who, who can't afford to go on to a university a level training and pay for it. So we're, that's what we're working on now. That is great. I love that, that is that is that's so awesome. Well, I did post on my website poplifestl.com. I did post the, the press release about that. So if you want to know more about Keep Live Alive, they do have a website keeplivealivestl.org. And then I post uh, their press releases on my website, so you can get them either or. Yeah, and thank you for doing that, Lynn. I, sure. I Sure. Yeah. Trying to uh, just boost the profile of everybody doing good in St. Louis. Uh, the uh, One of the reasons we wanted to talk to you today is because we knew of everybody that we could think of to talk about this new documentary out that was a breakout hit at Sundance, the Sparks Brothers. We knew that you might have some connection. Oh, well, A, when I worked at Casey back in the 70s, we actually played this played Sparks. We played the Sparks Kimono, Kimono My House. Uh, and I believe we went back to their second album, which Casey would do. A lot of people wouldn't, a lot of stations wouldn't do that. We went back to a Wolfer and Tweeter's clothing. Uh, and and the, I think one of their problems was, I mean, they had 25 albums, but they probably had 25 labels or near it also, <laughs> which didn't help because a label is not going to pr promote their older stuff, you know? So Especially if it's on a different label. And that's why, exactly why. But as, as a documentary, if you, if you didn't know who Sparks was and you didn't see the documentary and someone said, okay, here's what the documentary is going to do, you'd go, don't waste your time. Two hours and 15 minutes of one album failure after another, I don't think that's going to work. Well, guess what? It more than worked. It was a hugely entertaining... I, I know there are many people, uh, reviewers, who, who said, you know, uh, it, it was an hour too long or it was a half hour too long. It is it was, two hours and 20 minutes. Two hours and 20 minutes. And I watched it all the way to the last credit. And I would have stayed for another half hour. I enjoyed it that much. Me too. I said it was one of those movies where I could have continued watching it. And I do intend to watch it again. I was so entertained by this pair of brothers, Ron and Russell Mayle was fascinating about them because they fit into the director Edgar Wright's deadpan humor and so they were great subjects they talked about their life but they were so candid about everything but they also had that air of is this for real because of Edgar yes. Wright directing it and setting it up as this is your favorite band's favorite band and it's just such an anomaly that nobody's really knows who they are except the cool kids and i don't lump myself in the cool kids category at all i i knew of all the songs that they played during the entire two hours and 20 minutes i knew i want to say i definitely knew two of them possibly three well, I remember them on early MTV because I was a big MTV watcher back in the early 80s. And, and the Jane Wilden song. The Jane yes, Wilden's. Yeah. Yes. And so I remember them. And also, I'm a, 
a huge Todd Rundgren fan. So I knew that he produced their first album, which was a big flop. And then now he's working with them again, full circle interesting but the whole movie talks about how nobody knew them but yet they were on dick clark they were on the gray american whistle. bandstand yeah they were on the old gray whistle test and uh, they kept but see they kept zigging when other people would zag they kept reinventing themselves and stretching because Giorgio marauder from oh, the late 70s who beautiful. produced yeah produced yeah, produced Don, uh, Donna Summer, and then he went on to the electro synthetic pop of uh, like Blondie, Call Me, and all that. But they were the first ones to do that in an album. Well, George, uh, Giorgio Moroder uh, produced Number One in Heaven, which was a totally new direction, not just for this band, but for music. Now, I mean, they weren't the first, but still, it was the new direction of music that took us through, through the 80s. Right, right. Uh, that uh, and the videos. I mean, the, the 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 electronic music sound with that heavy beat. But for for Sparks to do that and mm -hmm. Stuky Sparks was the real accomplishment then. And this is really the, to me the real story of this documentary that's not told enough because it doesn't happen enough. And that is here's a band that lasted five decades grew old in five decades, but you don't even really see them grow old. You see uh, Russell, you know, his hair changes, right? But his energy never changes. And of course, Ron never changes. He sits at that right. keyboard. He, he looked well, old. Well, he went from a Hitler mustache to a, to a, uh, nope, a John Charlie Waters mustache. Wasn't Hitler, it's Charlie Chaplin. Okay, yeah, Charlie so Chaplin. He goes from a Charlie Chaplin mustache to a John Waters mustache in his older age. Yeah, right. And John Waters sensibilities. Uh, but they, it's, it's interesting that, uh, so you have this story of a band that managed to get through 25 albums and, and nobody knows who they are. Uh, uh, well, here in America and in, in England. The cool kids, the cool kids. Like well, in, in England, they never had a number one song. They only had a number two song. And I think that really upsets them. Well, no, I don't think so. They made a choice to do what they do and never sell out. They did not sell out. Even with Giorgio Moroder, they didn't sell out. They kept their, they stood strong on what their music is. And Giorgio Moroder, of course, Giorgio Moroder influenced the delivery of that music. But those lyrics, those amazing lyrics never changed for anybody. I, my God, what was the song they did, Carl, where it was only one, one sentence in the whole song repeated over and over? Oh, yeah. And, and it's, it's so... It angers some people, but it makes every other, other other person happy. Oh, I for I've forgotten it, but you know, yeah, you know the song, and you know when you hear that song, it, even though there's only one sentence being repeated, it grows. That song grows. It grows on you. It grows in intensity. It grows in musically, and it works. I mm -hmm. mean, you don't you don't see it coming. You don't realize till halfway through it what that song does to you. You know. And, and there are other songs like that, but lyrically, I, th this is a band that if w they perform, the lyrics should be on a screen behind them at all times, because you, if you can't hear those lyrics and appreciate them, you're missing 80% of what they're about. And those are mostly Ron's We're on lyrics. Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live hosted by Danny DeVito. That's right, because they show that in the beginning. Uh, they had songs like Under the Table with her. And uh, I just love the titles of their album, uh, pull, uh, Pulling Rabbits Out of a Hat, 
pretending to be drunk in outer space cool places was the uh, thing and uh, let me i'm gonna find that um I, I love that they had a 1986 album music that you could dance to but uh, well, they are so resilient they were going to make a movie with tim burton and that fell through yeah but, they had a lot of things fall through but, yeah uh, but they the are movie. They That's are nice. having a new movie with Adam Driver and Marianne Cotillard called Annette that is mm -hmm. coming out this year. So they are finally going to achieve yeah. a, a, their dream of being on a movie soundtrack. How many bands other than the Rolling Stones can claim five decades and still be able to do the music that, I mean, their energy is just, Ron, or Russell's energy is just in, infectious, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but who, who, who else can say that, you know? And But the difference between them and the Rolling Stones, of course, is the Rolling Stones made a lot of money and they, they can, <laughs> but if you look at what I did not realize until seeing this uh, documentary, how many, how many huge, huge audiences Sparks played to and still yep. play to? They can fill a place. Oh yeah, well, Weird Al talks about how they were so big on the LA club scene in the early 80s and late i guess late 70s early 80s and so you were part of the cool kids if you knew who the sparks brothers yeah. were and went to their concerts and uh they they just had this attitude that if you don't like us we don't care we're gonna yeah. do well, what that's, we that's my point that's the story that's not told that a band dared to go all those years including six years from 1989 to 95 with no recording contracts, no right. deals, no concerts. For six years, those two brothers worked every day, seven days a week, full days with their music, perfecting what they do. And then they dared, as, as you know from the documentary, uh, to actually hold a series of concerts playing every single one of their albums from beginning to end. Which uh, really upset their band. How many albums did they have at that point? I what? think they were at 20 two and they might have been debuting the 23rd or 21 22 they, because the last night they debuted the new album and they did this with a band that was made up of i i think everyone in that band none of them had played most of those songs before they right. may not have even heard a lot of those songs and if they you're in a band they, if you're rehearsing for a tour you learn the songs on the tour and you make sure that you, you have those down but this one you had to learn 500 songs yeah, and you had to learn them in order, one album at a time. So they'd do album one, get it down perfected in, in the course of a week, then move on in week two to album two to learn that. By the time they get to album three, they forgot album one. Right. And, and you know, that's that's a lot of, and it worked. They did it. They dared themselves to do it. They did it, and it worked. And My and Baby's Taking It Home. Was that My Baby's Taking Me Home? Was that one of those repeat? That might, that might be it. My baby's was, taking me home. That was it. That, that was that's it. the song. That's the one. That's the sentence. One sentence. Yeah. Kept saying yeah. Kept and then, uh, then they had uh, "Hello, Young Lovers," which is in two thousand six. And they, and they did an album with Franz Ferdinand. F yeah, and they had a F song, "Dick S Around." <laughs> Dick Around. Yeah. But, but you know, um, if, if if we're gonna uh, review the documentary. Um, I mean, it's so, it's so see what it does to you. You get into all this stuff because you're so amazed with this band has done. The documentary obviously did a, an amazing job of educating while entertaining, uh, mm -hmm. any everyone, but telling you about this band and all the stuff that you remember the next day 
There's a lot there. So many things happen, but we have no trouble remembering it and recalling it and repeating it because it's so fascinating and told so well. And, and the styles that, uh, that Wright used uh, as a director were, were in themselves. Edgar Wright's style was very entertaining. Uh, oh yeah, with the animation and with the yeah. the of uh, uh, the clay figures, he uses two of his go-to guys, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. You got to watch the credits to see where they are, but when you find out who, who they are, it's really a fun reveal. And this might be a filmmaker's thing, but I believe all filmmakers do it, and that is, they look for something, a technique or style they haven't seen. And not to steal it, but to be inspired by it. And so, yes, yes, there's still so many more ways to do this. And, and one simple one that Edgar Wright used was how he introduced the many, many, many talking heads on this who, uh, you know, told, helped tell the story. When you have, he dared to take each and every one of them and put them in black and white in the middle of the screen with a plain white background or off-white, you know, grayish background behind them as plain as could be and still make that interesting and make that work. And, and I there is a lot of video from the last 55 years. The yes. archival it, footage and their whole movies as children, their, their childhood's very fascinating that they were surfer dudes and they played sports and, and uh, their mom thought they were the British. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's another weird thing about this movie. Um, it's so well done that people who don't know who Sparks are or were and are will think it's fake. Yeah, yeah, you know, I had that thought as I'm watching it that this could have easily been done as a fake movie and, and you know, gotten like a mockumentary, like this is Spinal Tap. Yeah, but there, there is. I mean, that would have made that movie. Can, you can imagine how much more expensive that movie would have been to make. <laughs> To make all those songs and all of those, yeah, but 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 the copious amounts of archival footage is is remarkable, and and the newspaper clips and and but but you're right, Ron. All the 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 different record executives that talk about meeting them, dropping them, moving on, and uh, that's just in itself uh, such a glimpse of the music biz. Something to watch for is Paul McCartney's nod and tribute to them to Ron to, to, and uh, and and I, I I remember seeing that video so often and did yeah, I and you didn't know it you didn't think about it right no. but and back in 1983 84 there was no way to look it up that's that's right you're Good right point. and their album covers are genius when they show those album covers the one where they're on the boat they look like they've been kidnapped that is a hoot it tells a whole story. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And so the album cover art is just great. Now these are eccentric guys, yeah. and and it's just so funny how they just have fun telling their story, and yeah. uh, the, but they remained unapologetically themselves, individuals, and uh, they did it their way. And 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 this is I I think it's only really referenced once in the whole movie, but I think it's an amazing part of the message, and that is. They were both very, very nice people. Yeah. Nice people. Well, some of their bandmates don't necessarily think that they were very nice people at the time. Well, that's, also, you know, they went to a lot of band members. So, you know. <laughs> it's always been those two. It's usually a four or five piece band, unless they're touring. But they, they've probably had probably several dozen members of bands in their 
in their well, 55 years. Three female drummers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, I mean, it's like, I don't know how many drummers there were total, but there were a lot of drummers in that band. It's pretty amazing. But they, uh, they also going through that six year span of no income, I'm sure they must have had some royalties coming in because they did have hits overseas, but they didn't blow any of their money on drugs and drinking and craziness. They, they, no. they never ever, they always had the confidence that they did not need to show off. They never needed to cause a ruckus anywhere or do anything to get in the news. They were interesting as is. And their private life isn't revealed, except the only thing we find out is that Russell dated Jane Weedland for a bit. Oh, but yeah. it, you don't know anything about their personal life. They mention wives and sons. And, and I think one of their wives is actually in the movie, just like named as a super fan. But you don't know. They, they're still private about everything. And their homes, like they, you know, they reveal that they don't live together. Like brothers, right. they <laughs> have their own homes. And uh, I just love in the beginning when, when Edgar Wright asked them how long they have known each other. And Ron's like, we're brothers. <laughs> my, my favorite line is when Dick Clark says, uh, which is the older? And he says, you are. <laughs> <laughs> and Dick reacted properly to that with a big laugh. I think Dick Clark loved those guys. Oh, he, uh, well, yeah. Well, they had, they, they were, uh, by all accounts, they were very respectful and polite. And also they're funny, funny guys because they're so smart. They just, it just was a delight to learn about them and, and to dive into this story that, that we didn't really know. That's what yeah. I love about this movie. Yeah, so it's, if you're not a Sparks fun. fan, if you're not a Sparks fan, do not let that stop you from seeing this movie. Not at all. No, they're gonna they're gonna create this whole new base of fans. Oh, have I'd to. go see them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 They're gonna have a renaissance, and now with with Annette coming out, I'm not sure when Annette is coming out. I think it's gonna be a con, but uh, it'll get a lot of press because it well, it's got Adam it's Driver. If you're not familiar with them and you see it, you're going to be going, oh, well, that's that's Roxy Music. Oh, well, that's David Boy. Oh, well, that's... Pet uh, Shop Boys. And in every case, you're going to have it backward. Mm -hmm. They did it first. They right. did it first. Yeah. They, they influenced so many bands. That's what they yeah. talk about. They said they have influenced so many bands that you don't even realize how many people that they've influenced. The bands, the bands themselves, are, and many of them are probably not even aware where that influence came from. Right. <laughs> Right. Well, a flea talks about them in reverent tones and well, most music documentaries are reverent about their subject, but this is really glowing. And the lead singer from France, Ferdinand, Alex, what's his last name, Carl? Cause you're a big fan of that band. <laughs> Alex, Alex Capranos. From France, Ferdinand. Okay. Alex Capranos, I think. And then the guy from fun, the lead singer of fun. Well, and you have a list in front of you, Carl. There were a lot of people in this. Yeah, movie. there were no. I I don't have a list in front of me because there are a lot of people in the movie. In fact, when they do the credits, they say special thanks to. They list everybody. It's three columns long. Yes. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and I'm glad they. You know, it's the right thing to do when you see someone on the screen. You don't know who it is. You know, to put on the screen who it is. But uh, uh, without that we would we not, would not have known the, the amazing number of musicians who
who uh, had such great things to say about it. Oh yeah, Beck is in it. And then you have comedians. There are a lot of comedians in this movie too. Like Patton Oswalt and Jonathan Ross, Jason Schwartzman, Fred Mm -hmm. Armisen. And, but see, some of these guys are comedians and musicians like Fred Armisen. Armisen And Jason Schwartzman. Fred Armisen was influenced by them for sure. You know, and and uh, if you've ever seen any of his music, or seen or heard his music, yeah. Well, and then it's Alex Alex Capranos. Okay, and then they also uh, were influenced by cinema too. I think they have a very cinematic uh, appeal too, and especially in their album covers and their their music videos, they were influenced by the French New Wave. Mm -hmm. I think they, and you can tell. They were influenced by Ernie Kovacs. Yes. And they did, if, you, if you're an Ernie Kovacs fan, you know that he was the first one to really play with video or, or actually video recording didn't even exist. That was still film when he had a, his own TV show back in the 50s, but he was doing visual. The Tonight Show. Yes, exactly. And he was doing some visual stuff that was just so inspiring. And you could see a lot of that in, in what the uh, Sparks Brothers were doing. They talk about how when they were on American Bandstand, they were on food stamps and people would be like, uh, weren't you just on American Bandstand? <laughs> I'll do that to you. <laughs> yep. That's the music business. Yeah. Well, they didn't take off like everybody thought they would, but they still uh, have a, uh, had a remarkable career. And, and this, this, by the way, was uh, shot before COVID, edited during COVID. Mm-hmm. I think they got all the principal shot, shots done just before COVID hit. So they're, they were lucky for that. Yeah. And um, it's interesting. I think the brothers, they were just inseparable. They were just their own, uh, I guess, their own uh, best friends, their own. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Why didn't they break up? Why didn't they get mad at each other? I mean, mm-hmm. when you think about it. Uh, well, one of the one of the funnier lines is when Ron leans into the camera and says, Billy, just between us, Sparks, me, I'm Sparks. He's, he's <laughs> it's true, though. He's just a singer. And you know what? Yeah, it's, it is kind of true because. Well, he wrote the but, songs. But but Russell understood Russell's, yeah. what his brother had, and he knew that without him, he didn't have it. Well, he was the he was the matinee idol. He was the pretty boy. He was the pretty one. Yeah. And he uh, he danced all over the state. What a what a bundle of energy! Uh, and he was the lead singer. The lead singer gets all the credit, no matter what happens in a band. Right. He, he dared to do drag. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did things that uh, you know. I mean, they have a strong gay following, although they're both straight. But it's because uh, they dared to do things publicly that, uh, and and set new limits or, or or make statements that that others would not. Well, their well, their clothes were so flamboyant from the '80s. When you're watching them, it's so '80s. You know, their clothes, the big baggy things, the oversized uh, jackets, like David Byrne. Well, you, David Byrne, yeah. Well, it's going. It's out. It's out on, in theaters right now, and Annette is going to be on Amazon Prime in August. So, oh, okay. But it's going. It's going to be at the Cannes Film Festival. Con, and then it's going to be in limited release in August, but on Amazon Prime, where people will see it August twentieth. So okay, well, that was one of the most fun movies I've seen in a long time. Especially if you don't know anything about the band, and you're like, oh, I remember Cool Places. That was like a hit almost, and it wasn't. It wasn't. It barely got. It was like top 
15 on the dance chart, but it never got higher than number 50 on the billboard chart. So do you think this movie will do well? Um, no, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> well, it's commercially, gotta, it's gotta be they don't want to be commercially. Audience. This yeah. will be something just like the people that know about them. It will be one of those underground hip things. I don't, yeah. I don't think it's going to cross over to the mainstream. Well, yeah, I'm, by nature of what it is, it's not mainstream, true. Uh, and sadly, because it really is done well. But I, I think that the, it will spread, it will leak into the uh, documentary fans. There are people out there yeah. who will watch any documentary and they'll love it. They'll have well, there, we have a friend of ours. I will even out him. It's Max Voigt. Everyone pretends it's their favorite band because no one's heard of them. <laughs> which which is the sparks story it's people's yeah. favorite band and no one's heard of them yet they can sell they if they came to the pageant they could sell out two nights i yeah. i think they might sell out the fox but they couldn't sell out an arena or they couldn't sell out riverport no they have sold out arenas they played arenas i don't well, know yeah 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 yeah. oh but, in their heyday in europe they were huge yes yeah so and, well they said that that's what they they that was never the point of Sparks, though. No, right. no. Exactly. Well, I think people who discover them will become the new fans. But I do think it's going to have a wider audience once it hits streaming. But they're going with the movie. So, you know, this would be a perfect Tivoli movie, just FYI. Or a backlot movie. Yeah. So yeah. we have to say goodbye to Ron now. Bye, Ron. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your stories. Frank Bonner, for those that you don't know, because we just started the show talking about him. He passed yesterday. Yes. And 79. 79. All well, right. So now let's talk about. All right. So I'm going to cut that part and put it at the end. Yeah. Well, that was uh, that was fortuitous timing asking Ron today because mm -hmm. because of what's all transpired this week. All right, what do you want to talk, Lynn, what do you want to talk about next? You want to talk about the good movie or the bad movie or the other documentary? Yeah, well, how about we just stay on the documentary? Uh, all right, Rita Moreno, uh, just a girl who decided to go for it. Who is still, uh, which is another one that's only in theaters. Both of those, by the way, are at Plaza Frontenac, so you could have a double feature. Right. Oh, yeah. That's well, the, heavy, though. Well, the Rita Moreno one's only 90 minutes, so less than I, I really enjoyed the Rita Moreno thing. She's in the news this week because she stood out for Lin-Manuel and then she had to take it back. Yeah, that was unfortunate. She was great on Colbert. Colbert was just fawning all over her because he said her, her his mother thought that she was the, the best entertainer alive. Now, Rita Moreno is uh, the first Puerto Rican to win an EGOT, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. And she was the first Latinx to win an Oscar. As most people know her as Anita in West Side Story, but she is so much more. She was on The Electric Company with Morgan Freeman. Who's That's how I know her. And that's how I first was introduced to her because I was a kid during that time. And I kept waiting and waiting and waiting in this movie till they got to it. And then they did get to it. So I was happy that they didn't like 
gloss over that. She was also Carmen San Diego for yeah. those who uh, for those of us who had children watching that back in the And she 90s. was on Oz, she was the nun. Yeah, on Oz. she was the nun. Christopher Maloney was not a nice guy then. And <laughs> no. uh yeah, he wasn't what is he on Law and Order? I forget his he's, name. He's a detective. Yeah. Well, and anyway. they're they're making a new series about him. They're right. doing a spin-off of SBU that's all about him. Right. And it's it's about the mafia and Dylan right. McDermott's the mafia boss's son. But oh. Rena Reno was just last on the reboot of One Day at a Time. She played the grandmother. And she uh, was nominated for two Emmys for that. So she's still working. She's going to turn 90 years old in December. And that's when the new uh, West Side Story comes out by Steven Spielberg. And she is an executive producer of that. Now, speaking of Lin-Manuel Miranda, he executive produced this film, Rita Moreno, uh, Just a Girl Who Decided to Go For It. What is fascinating about this is I thought it was just going to be this fawning showbiz portrait, which I'm okay with because she's great. But it takes this turn into when she is so candid sharing her life. She talks about all the sexism and racism she endured in Hollywood and on Broadway. And it is eye-opening. Yeah. Well, she's the she was the third person to get the EGOT after Richard Rogers and Helen Hayes. So the, she was an EGOT, you know, before that was a thing. Because it was originally known as the Triple Crown of Acting. And then she got the Grammy too. So it was... She has really, really been a trailblazer her entire life. Yes, her Emmys were for uh, a being the Muppet, on the Show. Muppet Show. <laughs> and her Tony is for a John Kander and Fred Ebb musical called uh, The Ritz. Mm -hmm. And uh, she is just going strong. She came out, she was dancing with John Batiste mm -hmm. the other night. And uh, it's so fascinating about what all she went through she's very candid about her marriage she is very candid about this toxic relationship with oh Marlon Brando I had no idea there there are a lot of eye-opening you just think of Rita Moreno as someone on your screens but Rita Moreno has lived a life Oh, yeah. And she was very active in the civil rights movement. It shows her at the March on Washington. It shows some other entertainers that you're glad to see, too, that, that were on board with all of this in the 60s. And she continues to to fight for women, fight for minorities. She is a voice to be reckoned with. She's not going gentle into that good night. And I, I, I liked nearly everything about this movie um if you are not political and you didn't know the uh political um leaning she she's very left-leaning so if you are but you can still respect her journey and you can respect her attitudes and you can respect her opinions but there are some people that I think might get turned off about the politicalness of this movie but that was her whole life so I, I can understand why you would be shocked by it if you don't know anything about it, but don't be. No, I love her uh, stories about how uh, she had that meeting with the talent agent and uh, they thought she looked like a young Elizabeth Taylor. And she said, good, because that's how I dressed up. <laughs> Make me look like Elizabeth Taylor. And they did. And she looked just like her. And, and she shows herself without wigs and makeup. 
And yep. uh, that's very revealing. That's rare also. Yeah. And so she's just a, a breath of fresh air and an important, uh, not only is she an important entertainer, but she is uh, a, a, a force to be reckoned with. She is a natural life force. Yes. So there are two amazing documentaries. One's a little longer than the other one, but uh, you should you should seek them out. Yeah, they are the best movies of the week, and they are uh, documentaries. I gave yes. them both an A. Now hold on a second. You what did you? All right, let's move on to which I consider one of the better movies of the week: Disney Pixar's new oh. one called Luca. Yes, and I am so upset with this with this critical reaction about oh, it's lesser Pixar. What does that mean? Can't a Pixar just be fun? Does well, it have to be profound? No, this is the twenty fourth Pixar movie, so like even lesser would be it's in the bottom twelve. <laughs> But it's still wonderful and beautiful, and it's got a great voice cast. And I loved the whole ode to summers of your youth. Mm-hmm. I love that vibe. It's uh, Jacob Tremblay, who you know I feel very maternal for. Her, and her now, room. and now he's fourteen. Well, wonder. Oh my God, that movie made me cry so much. Anyway, he is now fourteen, so he's not going to be in this in this in this lane very long because he's going to have to transition to teenage roles but he is luca and he is a sea monster who herds goatfish during the day and <laughs> his funny. his parents are maya rudolph and jim gaffigan and jim gaffigan has the most hilarious mustache yes. and they're very protective of him and they don't want him going above the surface but like little mermaid too curious and so he goes above the surface he meets Alberto, who is wonderfully voiced by Jack Dylan Grazer, who was Eddie in the It movies. It and It Chapter Two. And also Shazam. Yes, he's the best friend in Shazam. And that kid's great. So Alberto is the more worldly and willing to push the envelope type of kid. And as an introvert, Luca is pushed out of his comfort zone by Alberto and they just have silly shenanigans and they're, they're jumping off cliffs and they're having a good time being best buds and they discover an Italian village, Porta Rosa. And which Porta is Rosa. named after the, it's, it's named after Porco Rosso, which is the studio Ghibli movie where Michael Keaton in the dubbed version is a pilot who is a pig. Yeah, and uh, the director, Enrico Casarosa, he grew up in Genoa during Mm -hmm. his childhood, and and he did the short La Luna, which Which is is top-tier Pixar short. Top-tier. La Luna makes, oh, it's amazing. It's one of the best ones. It's so beautiful, and it's lit so well. And so he expanded on that for this, but that was nominated for an Oscar for Best Short, and it was shown before Brave. Mm-hmm. in the theaters and so this is his first feature film and he draws upon his childhood in Italy and I just think what they have done with this film is evoke a special time and place because it's set in the 50s and there's little wonderful touches about Italian culture the pasta the gelato and Italian movies that are shown that are, there are posters for in the background I'm like oh that's Roman holiday I get it that's funny 
Well, they uh, it's an ode to um, Italian filmmakers, Fellini among mm -hmm. them. And then it also has, uh, he's he was inspired by uh, uh, the Japanese guy that we just talked about. Oh, Mayakowski. Uh, yes, Studio Ghibli. Yeah. And uh, so that's a big influence on his life. And I just think of this as charm, this as humor, this is about a really smart kid yearning to see the bigger world. He discovers the universe. It's so beautiful with the stars and the moon and then the sun-kissed shores of the Italian Riviera. Mm -hmm. Even though it is computer generated, they still worked with the figures to make them very distinct. Like the dad Massimo of Giulia mm -hmm. is a hoot. He's oh, let's talk. Let's talk about the Italians that are yeah. the humans. You have Emma Berman, who is really, really good. This is her first movie. Um, she's she plays this. I don't want to say tomboy because she's not a tomboy. She's just an adventurer, but she's not she's not hanging out with the cool kids. Right. She's, she's like a misfit in this village, and it's a fisherman. She's village. an underdog. Her, her, she's her an underdog. Yeah. Her dad is a is a fisherman and she spends the summers with him and she wants to win this race uh the boys are also enamored with a vespa and they they <laughs> think of they dream of winning this scooter right and so they stay at julia's house and massimo is a one-armed fisherman and he was just they think the boys think there's some amazing story and he's like a sea monster ate it no, I was born this way, which is really great, you know, because they're showing off, hey, people are born that way. Right. And what's so fun is they're trying not to blow their cover. So they have to help him fish. Right. And they know where the fish are. They know where all the fish are during the day. Which is really fun. And then the the animation between the sea monster, how fast and swift they do this ship, the ship uh, shape shifting is remarkable. Right. Well, one, a Pixar artist said that it's so detailed that like if you're watching how Luca is when he's a sea monster, there are 3,436 scales on his body. So don't even try to do it. And they're vivid colors. And I just thought the whole movie was vibrant and fun and made me want to go to Italy because it looks so inviting and appealing. And uh, it also celebrates youth friendships and also following your own path, forging mm -hmm. your own identity. And uh, just because, and she's a smart girl, which is always a good sign. And she introduces Luca to books and and study science yeah maps of the world and and it's just great to see how he has such a spark lit under him about the big wide world um i don't know if you stayed because you usually stayed till the end of the credits oh i watched everything there is a great there's a scene film. at the very end that should i say who it is or should i leave that for you should leave that for the you should I actually thought it was going to be something for like Finding Nemo, but well, no, you can see you can see who the character is. Who, uncle the, the uncle, uncle is played by Sacha Baron Cohen. Yeah. 
which is a hilarious departure uh, from that. But, you know, it does have bits of Finding Nemo, Little Mermaid, and also... Uh, yes, people that people that even like this movie are saying it's derivative of other Disney movies. But it's okay. I enjoyed it. And it's uh, the best thing on that about it being on Disney Plus, no extra fee. Oh, that's that is also good. Um, I I told everybody that there were three things that I did not see in the movie. One, I have been corrected on the Pizza Planet truck is in the movie, yet it is a three wheeled version like they would have at the time of this uh, era in Italy. It's a uh, Piaggio Ape. Okay. And so it's really not. It's it's the Pizza Planet truck, but it's the 1950s version of an Italian Pizza Planet truck. That is, and my daughter says that's kind of cool. Also, um, I didn't see a A113, which is the Cal Arts classroom that is all over the place. I did not see that one, but I did hear that the icon iconic yellow, red, and blue ball can be on top of a roof on top of a rooftop when they're having the big bike race. But what one thing that I have not been able to find, and I've seen this only once, and I want to see it again so I can look for it, I did not hear John Ratzenberger. No, I did not either. Now he could have been one of the townspeople, but I don't. Yeah, but the but the, he's there have been films where he's only had one line or one word. But I was honestly looking, and you know, I didn't even hear him in Coco say gracias. But this, and he was in Seoul. You could tell in Seoul because he was a New Yorker on the train. And he had one line and I, I don't know if like, because, because they do make reference to COVID when they're talking about uh, all the people who worked in their slippers doing, working on all of these things, but and the I babies and they, they do list all the babies born, which oh, is production babies thing. And uh, I just found this movie. It sweeps you away to a uh, fantasy world, which is, I think it's it's very needed right now, and uh, it picks her. It's really sweet, and once again, uh, uh, Disney is getting away from love stories because there's no. Even though there's there's the hint of love stories, it's more like a familial kind of love story. But they're they're a bromance. It's just they're both the director. Well, there's also the jealousy of when one of the boys is more friendly towards the girl and you get you know it's like a middle school kind of jealousy when they start to notice the opposite sex and aren't hanging out with their friends as much right right and the bully is is very slick and it's like one of those it's like one of those I don't know. Uh, in my youth, I watched like Gidget Goes to Rome and mm -hmm. it's your version of a slick cool Italian but he's a bully and mm -hmm. he's got the Ray-Bans and he's got the pompadour and uh, he's, he's very, what, very accurate in terms of a, of a Italian cool kid. And then I love the grandmother. Sandy Martin played the grandmother mm -hmm. and she played Mac's mom and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. And she is a character as the grandma because the grandma's got a hint of rebel in her like her yep. grandson. And uh, that's fun. And then Jim Gaffigan is. Just... I liked Jim Gaffigan. That actually could have been a John Ratzenberger role, but I thought Jim Gaffigan did a really good job in it. 
oh yeah he's distracted because he's raising his crabs and he's just like and Maya Rudolph wears the pants so to speak now Maya Rudolph has now been the mom in my favorite movie of the year the Mitchells versus the Machines and she's also she's been a Disney mom before in Big Hero 6 she's really leaning into the uh, mom roles for voiceover isn't she in the Lego one of the Lego movies as a mom um, I don't remember any moms in the Lego movies. Okay, well, Kristen Wiig is one, isn't it? With Will Ferrell. Who's Will Ferrell married to in the first Lego? Oh, wow. Yes. Because, yes, you're talking in the real world. Because that's why, you know, the Mitchells is the Phil Lord and Chris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, then, yeah, I, I see every time I think of the Lego movie, I think of the, you know, real world. I, I mean, I don't think I think of the Legos and I don't think of the humans, the humans. Yeah, because I think she's as a mom, she steps on a Lego, <laughs> which I always as a mom, you know, when you have children and you step on a Lego, you know what, mm -hmm. exactly what that feels like. But this was just this was just I just thought that they did such a good job and the director had such heart in it, but it's also funny. Mm -hmm. And I uh, just enjoyed it thoroughly. And, and then, you know, after I wrote my review, I read other reviews and see, and they were like, oh, this is less our Pixar. This isn't in the quality of that. And are they losing their touch? No, they're not. It's just different. Why can't we have a summer adventure? Yes, it was. It, I enjoyed it. Yeah, and I and I'm, I'm glad it's for free on Disney Plus right now. Not for free. You're paying for Disney Plus. There's no extra added charge on Disney Plus to watch it right now. No, no, no. It so was great. Yes. Now let's talk about the movie that you shouldn't pay to see and no one should see. I didn't like the first one, and I'm going to say this. This is now the seventh time on air that I have said this. The hitman's bodyguard's wife was written by a sixth grader, and that's kind of insulting to sixth graders. There are three reasons that this happens. One, there are a lot of F-bombs, like a sixth grader just trying to that just learn the word and is saying it all the time. Two, a sixth grader wrote it because there's mentions of boobies, and they even called them that, and they mention boobs a lot yet you never see one just like a sixth grader would want to see it but don't they don't see them and third the a sixth grader drew explosions that are chemically and physically impossible on vehicles and just explosions everywhere handed that to the director and said make this happen and that's what the movie is about oh and also a fourth bonus thing that a sixth grader would think that 72 year old Samuel L. Jackson could impregnate 54 year old Selma Hayek. That also is a sixth grade fantasy. This movie is blah. Well, I didn't see the first one and I was going to the second one, but then it didn't work out with my news schedule. And so I had to miss it. But uh, from what you said and other people said, it's just junk. It's cinematic junk and it's got high profile names. Ryan Reynolds, Salma Hayek and Samuel L. Jackson. And Salma Hayek was in the first one as a cameo. And she was probably the best part about that. And a lot of the scenes that she does in this movie, there's a part where she has to play a British person and she doesn't even try to do a British, well, she might be trying, but it is a the most horrible British accent I have heard ever, but that's part of the joke. So it's not, it's not good. 
but she ever you know what they all look like they're it's kind of like one of those uh, adam sandler or george clooney movies where they all go out and have a good time they all look like they're having a good time but we're not this might have been a blast to make but what what happened on screen was not a blast. Well, supposedly it's set to make like 15 million, which is more than In the Heights and In the Heights is a better movie. Well, and Frank Grillo, if you put Frank Grillo in your movie, and I know our buddy Dan loves Frank Grillo, he is wasted in this movie. You get you put Frank Grillo in an action movie, you expect that he's going to do some action. He's exposition guy. He's guy in the background. He's not, he doesn't even have a, a good fight scene. You need Frank Grillo to Frank Grillo this movie up. I would have enjoyed to have Grillo have an action scene, but why put him in a movie if you're not going to use him? And Antonio Banderas playing a Greek guy is also weird. Well, that's and then there's for Grillo to be a wall, just wallpaper. Yeah. And there's also a person that he's on the poster, but in the movie when he shows up, I don't want to say it is. It's somebody that we've already mentioned once, especially during our uh, Rita Moreno review, that just shows up. And the premise is funny. It's just executed well. But, but then again, nothing in this movie is executed well because a sixth grader wrote it. And you know what? Ron was even talking about that. You know what? Possibly a sixth grader did write this, and then some studio executive came and made it worse. <laughs> Maybe that's what happened. Well, you know, next week we're going to have F9, and you know, I think all those Fast and Furious movies are written by chimps at typewriters. I've so, never seen any. I've seen none of them, so it will be all you, baby. Yeah, well. All right. You know, I'm not the demo, but also I can appreciate what they go for and stuff, but when they start having cars leap off of buildings into another building and they have parachutes attached to cars and things. I just am like, what world is this? But I do want to see it for John Cena playing Vin Diesel's. I love me some John Cena. Uh, brother, I am not the world's biggest Vin Diesel fan. In fact, I am Team Rock. When that <laughs> I am also Team Rock, but I don't mind Vin Diesel. He can do, he has done work that I have appreciated and liked. Well, my favorite of the Fast and Furious is the one where they Five. where they give well when they no seven the farewell yeah they give this farewell to see I even know that and I don't I haven't seen any of them I know that seven Paul is the Walker. one where Paul Walker leaves and five is the one where the Rock joins and I I really I think Max and I tried to like guess the the plots of them without ever seeing them which i think was a funny bit but well, still they all run, they all run together but they, right. the last one they brought charlie's theron as the villain which was terrible. she's in this one too yeah and kurt russell is some government guy and so you know you're thinking okay i'll give it a shot but still but but all, none of these people are in the hits man's wife's bodyguard so oh yeah so we'll get back to that because i was just ranting about f9 but anyway those are the movies that will make big box office when a movie like in the heights is not and wow. another film that is at theaters today which i enjoyed but is being raked over the coals is called 12 mighty orphans now i am a sucker for an underdog sports movie i like that one with keanu reeves with <laughs> the football the replacements i mean i just love uh underdog sports movies can you hear what you're saying right now 
About underdog sports movies? No, about liking the replacements. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay, go ahead. Everybody go ahead. That movie. But, you know, Keanu, I actually have never seen it, so. Well, Keanu's in it. Okay. I, so, okay, go ahead. Okay. So this okay. is this. I will take, I will even bad sports underdog movies always get me emotional i just and this is this is based on a true story yeah based on a true story it is about during the depression 1938 rusty russell who is now hailed as the greatest high school football coach in texas of all time which is a big uh praise of yes because high school football in texas is a religion yeah, right and he takes this ragtag bunch of orphans to the state finals and this really happened i don't know if the movie follows the trajectory but at the end during the credits it shows what everybody did after this and it shows all the boys some of them went to the nfl some of them became war heroes in world war ii some of them became teachers and scientists and uh, remarkable careers and so whatever the one of them started a newspaper yeah, so it's very uh, interesting. And the thing about this movie is it's old fashioned to a fault. It's cliche riddled. It is so predictable and it's a formula, but I enjoyed it. So I gave it a pass because <laughs> Luke Wilson is really good as the head coach, Rusty Russell. Okay. And it signals a comeback for him in a way because what has he done recently? Um, he, well, he, he's probably waiting for Wes Anderson to put out a new movie, right. which is happening in the fall. Right. Well, he is in this TV show. It's now no longer on called Stargirl. And the no, no, it's Stargirl still on. Oh, OK. Well, the head the head boy who's very, you know, it's one of those difficult and they have to turn him into this, you know, mm -hmm. nice, caring kid. Uh, he because he saw his father killed in front of him. <laughs> okay. no. uh, well, uh, he is named jake he's got one of those three names let me see here uh, jake austin walker he was yeah. on star girl yeah yeah he's on star girl with with uh, luke wilson so there you go but uh martin sheen is doc hall who is rusty russell's assistant and he's an alcoholic uh, co uh, uh guy at the home this home is the masonic home in fort worth and during the depression all these parents who couldn't care for their kids just dropped them off hmm. so this orphanage has 150 kids in it there's teen boys there's teen girls and there's young kids and the teenage boys are separated and that's where he gets this pool of 12 players and they uh, go through you know they're barefoot they don't have any equipment blah 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 all that uh, the all these hardships and adversity the kids all have traumatic lives and uh i don't know if you remember the movie mud with Matthew McConaughey, but the kid that played Neckbone is in this movie as Snogs, and Snogs <laughs> is an important character. So Neckbone from Mud is in it, and uh, Jacob Seth Laughlin. Right now, the villain who is just despicable is played by Wayne Knight. He heads this orphanage, and he violates child labor laws. He embezzles. He's just the worst guy and so it's such a cartoon villain and mm -hmm. Wayne Knight knows how to play cartoon villains so I don't know how much of that is real but get this there is one scene with Robert Duvall and there is a couple scenes with Treat Williams huh 
So I don't know how that happened. Now the director is somebody I've never heard of, Ty Roberts. Mm-hmm. This he is, wrote it too. Yeah, this is based on a book by Jim Dent, who's a sports writer. Mm-hmm. So it's it's I'm not gonna say it's just this great. You know, it's not on the level of Remember the Titans or uh, what other uh, underdog story is there, but. If you like a good old fashioned story that mm-hmm. it would be like Sunday matinee time, mm-hmm. fine, but it's only in theaters today and it's from Sony, which is unlikely. Sony classics. Wow. There is one thing that I'm curious about in this movie. Uh, the person that plays Luke Wilson's wife, uh, Rusty Russell's wife, who is Juanita Russell, is Vanessa Shaw. And yep. Vanessa Shaw was the girlfriend in Hocus Pocus. That's right. Yeah. She plays his loving wife who doesn't want to move to this dumpy uh, apartment. You know, they have an Mm -hmm. apartment in the in the orphanage and it's just awful. And but this coach, Rusty Russell, is credited with the with the spread offense. He invented that. Oh, okay. Football, that's a big thing. He went on to coach at at colleges. Yeah, he he uh, he coached at uh, uh, at. SMU, Southern Methodist. So it's one of the- And Howard Payne. And he was he was an orphan himself. Ah, there you go. And he was a World War I hero, but he had PTSD. He overcame a lot. So it's all these kind of overcome adversity stories in this movie. And sometimes you just want to feel good little movie. Mm-hmm. And so- and, and that's what this is. Right. And F- But not, it's not better than Luca. No, no, no. Well, this inspired a whole nation during the Depression, apparently, because mm-hmm. FDR was one of the biggest fans of this team. So it shows that during the Depression, when and they, they are very graphic about how awful the Depression is, because how are you going to soften the Depression? You right. Know? And so it's dusty and awful and, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, all that. But, they, but FDR is a big, big supporter. So they, they have that. It's schmaltzy. The music is schmaltzy. You, know, <laughs> you would think like this isn't going to work. But actually, you know, it's okay. Well then, all right. So let's now talk about the horror film that you watched this week. Yes, it is so creepy. Oh my God, it is a Mother Nature's Revenge. Remember that? Well, you're you're a lot younger than me, but there was a little. there was this commercial that uh, was for parquet margarine, and because Mother Nature thought it was butter. Yeah. Well, first was, of all, first they would say it's not butter, and you. It's not nice to fool Mother Nature. Right. I know that commercial. Yeah, it's the tagline. It's not nice to fool Mother Nature. Well, this movie is all about nature taking revenge. Gaia is the Greek mythology word for Earth. Yes, Gaia. The Gaia is the goddess and the personification of Earth. So, in 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 the Greek mythology. So this director, it's it's an international production, and uh, the director is um, I think there's there's German people and there's also um, uh, Danish people involved in this. So the setting is a primordial forest, and these two forestry workers are on a surveillance in a canoe, and they have a drone, and you see this drone being bashed by this kid and there's two survivalists in this forest Mm -hmm. there's a father and a son and the father is kind of mad and he has got a manifesto about 
destroying the earth and how horrible man is. And uh, one of the forest rangers injures herself. She's a very independent woman, but she uh, can't beat a trap. And so they take her in and, and nurse her to health. And she's suspicious of them, but also she takes a shine to the sun. Okay. Well, she discovers that these creepy guys who are the uh, survivalists aren't necessarily the threat in the forest. There are creatures. They're so disgusting. They're in, <laughs> in a way like the, like the uh, creatures in Quiet Place. Okay. Uh, but they're, but they're part, hu they're look like human but they're just gross anyway they um are roaming and can attack and so at any moment you could be eaten oh good yeah it, it's a horror film so it's only like 95 minutes right right and so the way that they build the suspense is really good and then if you are attacked by these creatures you are infected and you turn into, I mean, uh, obviously you're not going to last long. A zombie. But they, uh, no, it's not a zombie. But they are covered with, uh, with growth, like mushroomy things. and Like a tree. Horses. Yeah, it's really <laughs> bizarre. And it's one of, one of the most innovative makeup jobs and hairstyles. Like this would technically be a nominee at, for the Oscars for this work. This special makeup, but well, it won, it won, it won best cinematography at South by Southwest. Oh, well, yeah, the cinematography is very, is very good, and so it just keeps you on the edge of your seat, like, what's going to happen? What's with these guys? Who are these people? What's going on? Yeah, it's very eerie, and uh, it's biblical in a way because the dad is always quoting some. You think it's from the Bible, but it could be his own religion. <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's basically um a knock at technology and also just how we've let uh we've taken such horrible care of <laughs> the were uh, the you know so it's an echo horror film which is very unusual and a creature feature no um well in the in the earth was an echo horror film too oh yeah 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 but that one that one was more um supernatural yeah well this this just this is all uh based in uh eco science right and also you know how blair witch they were in that forest and they mm -hmm. that gives you this this thing like they're alone and they're tired and i mean she's alone and tired well her partner i'm not even going to get into that but they're <laughs> you know tired and lost and don't know what's happening and weird things are are uh, at a moment's notice i mean every step is like whoa <laughs> yeah so i enjoyed well it. that's a that's a lot of movie choices this weekend yes and this okay the good thing about this is okay it's in theaters now but it will be on demand june 25th oh that's next week and it's from it's from neon mm-hmm so good old Neon, they always have the quirky horror movies. Yes, they do. Neon Midnight. Yeah, so. All right. So we've talked a lot this week. This, this is a good show, Lynn. I liked it.
Yeah, this has been, um, well, there's so many good movies. I need to point out a movie I haven't seen yet, but Tribeca Film Festival is going on now and they've made it virtual and they've made films available across the country. And the movie Ferguson Rises Mm -hmm. is part of the Juneteenth celebration for the Tribeca Film Festival. Happy Juneteenth, everybody. Yes, so if you want to see Ferguson Rises, you have to pay $15. But Google Tribeca at home, mm-hmm. you can watch it. It is uh, about 90 minutes and, or well, actually 82 minutes. And it is about how Ferguson sparked the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, the aftermath. Now, this is one of the most even-handed documentaries about Ferguson because the filmmaker interviewed police. He interviewed protesters. He interviewed business owners. He interviewed Michael Brown Sr., who's very prominent in the film. Mm-hmm. This film was produced by David Aiello. Oh, David Aiello. Yeah. And so it is about healing and growth in the town. It is about how they turn the national spotlight into, uh, you know, furthering understanding. Mm-hmm. And uh, it. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it because i haven't watched it yet i wanted to watch it before we could but this week has not turned out that way anyway um i think it's really great that we have people that were outraged at the killing of michael brown jr and we have people who are angry at the protesters i think that's good that we see both sides to this and i think it's good that it's it's a it will upset both sides right and it's going to be a hopeful message ultimately about how the town how about how the people have grown and about how they have attempted to heal excellent yeah well check that out yeah that's at the tribeca film festival and um i can't remember if um what else is going on in st louis this weekend but uh uh you only have till what june 27th to see king lear right and you need to every monday at noon they sell out in seconds Yes. Uh, so go to um, STL Shakes online and you can get every Monday at noon is when you can get your tickets for the St. Louis Shakespeare Festival. Right. And Godzilla versus Kong is now available on video on demand. And so is that Pierce Brosnan movie, The Misfits, which we didn't even get to see. No one saw that. Yeah. And there's something called Wish Dragons on Netflix. Which, which is charming. Did you, you saw it? it? Yes. No, I didn't see it. Yes. I, it, it came up in my queue and I said, what is this? They've they've not tried to sell me on this. Maybe I'll watch it eventually. Totally under the radar. Netflix has not promoted it and neither has Sony Animation. It is a riff on Aladdin. Oh. But it's an all Asian production and the voices are good. It's Jimmy Wong. It's uh, uh, Constance Wu. It's. Uh, a, I know all those people. Yeah. And it's a boy who finds a, a teapot. He misses. What it's really neat is a, it's about friendship. And mm-hmm. it's a boy and a girl. And uh, they have. Uh, oh, Jimmy O. Yang's in it too. I like Yeah. It. Yeah. And Jackie and, Chan produced it. And they, uh, the characters are all well voiced and and really well drawn. And it's oh, John Cho. Yeah, it's very colorful. I enjoyed this a lot. Oh, Ronnie Chang. And so I, I know all these people that are in this movie. Right. And so it's not a genie per se. It's a dragon. The wish. I, I dragon. hear it's it's a. I hear it's for 
little kids though. It is, but but sometimes you need that because how many like my three year old nephew, I uh, not nephew, my three year old great nephew tried to watch Soul, which of course went right over his right head. over his head. <laughs> so Wish Dragon is the kind of movie that you can you know you can watch with your eight year old grandkids, and uh, it is a, a boy becomes uh, a misfit boy becomes friends with this girl but she moves away and becomes this famous model mm. and one of his wishes is to be friends with her again he doesn't oh that it's her. natasha liu for for these how do you say her last name yeah i know for she was in crouching tiger hidden dragon and i just found it very charming on a on a on another just simple fun movie for kids well, we don't have to have profound all the time lot lot you know sometimes those shows are needed just put that on and mommy can get in the tub right and you're and you're you know your babysitting your grandkids and and you know it's it's not going to be 106 today so right. you can be inside and watching a pleasant little movie and uh it's just i don't know why netflix didn't promote it but i found it very interesting and, and calming yes <laughs> yeah calming is a good word um the uh the room which is one of our favorite cult movies oh the room not to be confused with room with Brie no. Larson and Jacob with, right but uh the room is going to be a double feature with the disaster artist which is about the making of the room mm -hmm. and it's going to be at the Skyview this Thursday wow they're having a cult classic double feature i might go to that i know i was thinking about it too and it's one is at 9 p.m and one is at 11 p.m and they're trying this out they're trying these thursday cult movies or different type of programming but uh, i forget the other one that's on the other screen but you have a choice but the room is one of the silliest yes funniest, and most horribly made movies i've ever seen Ro, you're tearing me apart. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> hi, Mark. I watched that. You can go to YouTube and see the all the hi marks. Oh, hi, Mark. So funny. And I did have the pleasure to to interview Tommy Wiseau. You say pleasure? Yeah, because he was such a character. He yes. was such a hoot. I was nervous about asking him about it movie that is unabashedly terrible and he thrives on uh yeah he loves it yeah uh, and the I, other screen's gonna have boondock saints oh that's it okay another cult another mm -hmm. cult classic so bravo to the skyview people good, good for you skyview well they've been trying to they've been trying to fill there there weren't for a while there weren't enough movies so they were trying to get everything so good for yeah, them which is really great barbecue brawl started on monday on food network and uh spoiler alert first episode the girl from sugar fire went uh -oh. home but uh david sandusky from the beast uh lives another week well uh, that is if you if you like if you like reality competitions i'm going to recommend holy moly and that's season three and Lego Master season two, even though I'm not as enamored with season two as I was with season one. Uh -huh. But that's it. That's a, that's it's all. There are so many choices. Everyone can watch whatever they want. Right. Lynn, where can we find you on the socials? 
I am in all of the socials. I got to get better at Instagram. And I'm in the Webster Kirkwood Times. I am on KTRS Radio every Thursday with Ray Hartman. Uh, Miller Furniture presents Lynn Van House Goes to the Movies. And I have to give a plug. Uh, Miller Furniture's having their half price sale through July 6th right now. Oh, wow. So that's the best sale of the year. And uh, everything in the showroom, half price. And also... Uh, I have my own website, poplifestl.com. And then, Carl, we have this podcast going on into our third year. Wow. We are having guests that want to come on. <laughs> Yay. Hooray for that. Instead of trying to beg for people. All right. You can find me at underscore Carl the Intern on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find me on the Odyssey family of radio stations. And you can find me right here. And you can find me on the Max on Movies podcast. You can find me, basically, it's hard to miss me. I'm everywhere. You are. Where can we find all the information about Keep Live Alive? Besides keeplivealivestl.org. The first place to look really would be on, thank you, but uh, on Facebook, we have Keep Alive Alive St. Louis on Facebook, and that's where everything hits first. So there's always something. We have a lot more stuff we're giving away or auctioning. So there's always something going on. And Joy is back uh, having lunch at the Fountain on Thursdays, I saw, right? Yeah. Right. And she's trying to get Wednesdays open. It's just a matter of getting a, a staff, staff back. You know, it's just it's such a problem. That'll, I'm sure, nationwide will slowly work itself out. But right now, it's a very awkward time, especially for restaurants. So I don't care what restaurant you go to. If you go to a restaurant, be patient and understand they're understaffed. The person waiting on you has working too many hours with no breaks. Yep. Just treat them accordingly. Thank you. Both. Or get it to go. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Okay, talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye, Ron. Well, everybody, stay safe, keep cool. Stay and, cool. Uh, support local if you can. Happy, Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers, stepdads, uh, role models, uncles, grandpas, everybody who uh, helps take care of the youngins. Happy Father's Day. Bye. Bye.